Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. Episode 173. As always, a gentle reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Get on a phone, a rotary phone, a cellular phone, call a friend, say, hey, you got to check out this podcast, The Soccer OG. Your friend will say, why? Go, well, it's really good. The host, Max, knows his stuff. He has the hottest takes in the business. He doesn't take any nonsense. And they have some great guests every week. Oh, really? Okay, this is me in my normal voice now. This week, not one, but two guests join us here. Double business end. We'll take a break from Check Complete. That'll be back again soon enough. Do not fret. But this week, we will talk to Eli Lesser. This week in MLS, we'll preview MLS. We'll also talk to him about starting a, a network and getting the word out and creating new fans in Major League Soccer. Prior to that, Danny Higginbotham, who works with Apple TV alongside me covering Major League Soccer, as well as with NBC Sports in the Premier League. We'll talk a little bit about MLS, but I'm bringing in Danny specifically to talk about Sir Bobby Charlton, who we lost last week. You know, we tell American sports stories and we didn't see the impact that Bobby Charlton did. I did get to see it somewhat because of the early stage I covered the Premier League back in the mid-90s. This is a remarkable, remarkable human being. We'll try and tell you his story a little bit. And Danny Higginbotham, and you know, Charlton was connected to Manchester United. Higginbotham and his family, Manchester United through and through, even though he did play elsewhere in the Premier League like Southampton. Um, he will give you some, uh, some interesting feedback and a little background on a great figure who lived a life and is an inspiration to me. And I'll tell you exactly why I had in the business end. But this is the soccer OG. I got a few takes, Champions League. City, uh, Americans abroad. We'll get to that right now in the rundown. Time now for the rundown, where we break down the topics that matter the most here in our wonderful world of the beautiful game. Rapid fire style, right? Start with the Champions League. So recording this on a Wednesday, just finished watching the games. Uh, obviously intently watching Group F which uh, has been designated the, I don't know, you can't call it the group of death, but someone's going to die in that group. Two teams will. And it looks like it's going to be Milan. And we have this arms race on American soccer Twitter X. Um, who could sing the praises the highest of our Americans abroad? I do it. I'm guilty of it. We are all do it. And I'm very, I get very excited. And I will preface this by saying I tuned in to... Juventus Milan, we had four American players starting there. And look, I covered the city, uh, and I started watching it in 1998 as part of Fox Sports World. I got to broadcast that. It's an amazing league. You know, back in 1998, I'm doing a, a, a sharp turn here, but we'll get back on the rails here soon enough. You know, back then, the amount of talent, not just on Juventus and um Milan and Inter, but Parma was a powerhouse, and uh, not the Rome clubs were perennially up there, and they're getting back there again. It was, you know, Gabriel Batistuta, Rui Costa, Ronaldo Fenomeno, all these incredible players playing on that team. Diego Simeone, that's where I really fell in love after he left Atletico Madrid. Uh, the incredible group at Juventus led by Alessandro Del Piero. Best league in the world. And the league is still benefiting from that aura, as they should. And that got to me watching Juventus Milan. Because I never thought I'd see four Americans playing on the San Siro field. 
of a game of this stature. So that is a W for all of us who watch American soccer players. That is a, 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 that is a hurdle that we've cleared. That is grounds that we're doing something right. Because that would have been absolutely preposterous to even suggest such a thing back in 2005 or 2010 or 2015. So, I mean, just go back to when he didn't qualify for the World Cup. What if I told you, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. In six years, we're going to have four Americans starting uh, the, uh, the Classico between Juventus and Milan. So that's good. That said, that game was truly awful. And it's got me worried at the Serie A has got some major issues. Those That's not good talent. We've masked that talent right now to say, okay, because we're watching and the, Milan was doing well. Uh, but they need to... Uh, their best player, Rafael Leao, is just too much of a, a loose cannon. He can go off on these tangents. Olivier Giroud is, I don't know, 40 years old? I don't know. That Don't, don't hold me. I'm just being funny. Or is he? I don't know. I'm afraid he is. <laughs> I know he's not. Olivier Giroud is a good striker through his years. He's 37, so not too far off. Uh, Christian Pulisic is not a problem for that team, but we'll get to see him grow. And I'm glad he's at the Milan in the Serie A. There's a lot of clout and equity there. And it's a good club for him. But the Serie A, you know, some other teams, they're not spending the money. They got away with it in, in last year in the Napoli case, but Napoli did nothing to add to it. Lazio are in the Champions League. They look pretty ordinary. Um, Juventus are not in the Champions League. They have their flaws of watching that game. I was like, my goodness. And I'm not here to drag it through, but I just think we've got to, I mean, they have the aura. They have the equity and that clout. But right now, they're not really good teams. And a lot of the investors are getting out of there. And you can see the edge the Premier League has over everyone with TV rights, salaries, etc. And that'll continue to be the case. And you just worry about that because if the Serie A can't compete with that, you've really got Real Madrid and Barcelona, Bayern, and that's it. Do we need it? Maybe the Premier League being the Super League is the direction we want. But, if, you know, it's all big picture, right? We watch everything. So then I watched Milan in Champions League play, and they got smashed by PSG. And again, Christian Pulisic, we, we always tie him into him, but he was okay. Had one big gaffe where he passed the ball. He shouldn't have to Giroud. He should have taken it himself. And I'm pretty sure he would have scored. But all of a sudden, a club that was doing everything right, there is a, there is a weight on them. Not scoring a goal in these games over the past week. Not scoring in three games in the Champions League. They haven't scored in five games in the Champions League going back to the semifinal last year where they were knocked out. Um, I listed it here because last year in, the, in knockout rounds, I mean, keep in mind, they got to the semifinals. Spurs scored one goal in two games. Napoli, two goals in two games. And against Inter, no goals. I like it to be a little sexier. I think it can. We'll see how Milan do it. But uh, they're, they're, they're going to face a big test. I don't think it's going to cost Christian Pulisic playing time. I think they, they can rely on him. And look, looking at it, he's the least of many problems right now for that team. By the way, just a name to remember, they played PSG. Warren Zaire Emery, 17-year-old French midfielder, he is the goods. He is the goods. So uh, certainly keep an eye on that. It doesn't look good for Milan to progress out of that group. But um, they're not out of it, but they have to score a few goals. They have to score at least one goal. 
But it is Dortmund leading the way now with PSG um, and Newcastle certainly. But Newcastle losing at home, they just threw away. I mean, they don't have a lot of home games. They beat PSG. So uh, they have, let's see, Group F, they have to, uh, they're tied on points with Dortmund. PSG lead the way. And there we stand. Santi Jimenez was a big story. The Mexican striker with two goals for Feyenoord who lead their group, Group E. Beat Lazio, Atletico Madrid, and Celtic uh, tying the points, which that slows down Simeone's squad. Otherwise, you have the the heavyweights doing well, which is a bit of a change because it it looked like the bottom and the top were getting closer. Although after match day three, it feels like the top has moved ahead. Bayern had a scare, took care of Galatasaray. Arsenal looked like they should win Group B. Real Madrid will win Group C. Uh... Man City will win Group G. If you see something on social media, these varsity jackets that Man City wore to their game against young boys, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I think I posted on my uh, Twitter X handle, Max Barreto Sports, so check it out from Wednesday. I don't know who greenlit that. <laughs> and Barcelona's the other. I mean, Barcelona's going to win their group, and why not? This incredible young talent continues to deliver for Xavi. And Barcelona, even though they're on some restrictions, uh, doing pretty good. So, good stuff there in the in the Champions League. Talked a little bit about the Serie A. We're all watching that game. I know we talked about Michael Bradley retiring as well. And I saw him. It was a very touchy moment joining his coach, um, his father, who's the head coach at Stabek. And he's getting a head start on his, uh, his coaching career. And he's going around Norway and doing it. Now, I tweeted how nice it was. I go, maybe Michael Bradley could be a f- future USM&T coach. And the barrage of tweets I got in return saying, oh, nepotism and cronyism and yada, yada, yada. And look, man, I will stop you right there. And I will tell you, nepotism in my industry has caused me many times. So I'm not supporting people getting the fast track because their fathers are involved in there. This is different. Michael Bradley earned his keep. He was from a, a, a... his father obviously put, point him in the right direction, but every step he did, he did on his own. And he was the best at his position for the U.S. men's national team. And if you're going to claim that nepotism had any part in that, you cannot have a conversation with anyone about U.S. soccer. You are out of conversation. Just delete your account and get off. I understand the nepotism. Look, and that is something that we have to deal with in society, but not in this case. And the fact that he's getting a job from his father with the profile he's had and the connections he's had that's good news for U.S. soccer. You're getting a guy getting to coach in a European team. He's going to go to the next step. Why not? That's exciting. And by the way, I want you to check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I have a pretty bombastic video coming out about how the U.S. will never win a World Cup. I know that title sounds very shocking, but check it out. It's coming out Wednesday night, so be on the lookout for that. Soccer OG under my name, Max Bretos. On YouTube. And then there was also this conversation that started up in the U.S. soccer space for the, because I, I got to give my hat off to CBS Sports Golasso. They're creating more content and they have the show with uh, Kate and Mo and Charlie. Uh, the name escapes me, but they have a special guest and they had Josie Altador. And the, the the soundbite, you know, it's all about getting soundbites. And it got everyone talking was Josie Altor saying the 2014 team could beat the 2022 team. And I guess that was a somewhat controversial. And I'm like, wait, wait, 2022 team has done diddly poo. 
I think they are going to change that. Maybe next summer, maybe they win Copa America, or even if they make a semifinal, they will change that. But they're not there yet. So any conversation starting with just your opinion or a hunch based on these players, it, this is a team game. The 2014 team, and I can't believe I'm getting dragged into this. I really should have let sleeping dogs lie. The 2014 team, in addition to having a successful World Cup, they beat Ghana, they pushed Portugal, should have beaten Portugal, and then even had their chances when they were completely outclassed by Belgium. Big portion of that team was around in 2009 when they beat Spain and almost beat Brazil in the Confederations Cup, minus Landon and a couple others. But that's still that generation. The 2002 team made a quarterfinal for a World Cup. No one's touching them in my estimation uh, <laughs> until someone can at least match that. And I think the 2026 team, which it will be, will have a shot. But we we having this conversation? Everyone's like getting really angry. I see my guy Alexi in the middle of it too. He's trying to bring in the, the 94 team. Why not? Bring it all in. That is the Soccer OG Rundown. Great to have you with us. As we said earlier, we have two guests here. There will not be check complete this week. Coming up later, Eli Lesser of This Week in MLS to talk about creating content in Major League Soccer and the MLS Cup playoffs. We'll have a little preview and uh, some predictions as well. We will begin with Danny Higginbotham, who I've brought in also to talk about covering MLS, but also the big story, in my estimation, without question, the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton, an incredible person, and I hope we can shed some light on that. Danny Higginbotham to talk about this, the Busby Babe, the Manchester United legend who had what you could only classify as the best life lived. A tribute to that great man ahead here on the Soccer OG, Danny Higginbotham joins us next. We're here now with Danny Higginbotham, who you will see on Apple TV covering Major League Soccer on MLS Season Pass. Also see him with uh, NBC Sports in the Premier League. Uh, Danny, you having a wonderful time doing this. How are you enjoying uh, being part of this great U.S. Soccer Foundation covering the sport? It's been brilliant. This this season has been, you know, anybody that, that asks me, I always say that it's been the longest, quickest season ever because you look back and you think to yourself how many games you've covered, the different places you've been to, then you've got the League's Cup, and you've done so much, but then it feels as though it's gone so quickly but it's it's been brilliant for me because it's very different than than what i've been used to when i was in england you get in your car and you drive that's it you know <laughs> you can be one end of the country to the other in three four hours whereas here you can be on a plane for five and a half hours and you're still in the same country so it's been it's been interesting obviously a lot more flying and things like that but to see different parts of the country has been really exciting and then to actually go to the club speak to the managers the players it's it's been excellent from start to finish so far well this is the good news danny you can rake up those frequent flyer miles and have a nice vacation january until we get ready because i'm with you man we were talking about it off air and i can't believe we started this it was february and now we're almost pushing november and it has flown by, which is also uh, a sign that uh, you've enjoyed it. Because if it's yeah. if it hasn't, when it's not flying by, it's a drag. But I'm with you, man, and it's been such an experience. And like I've I've done this before many years ago, but not like this. And it is, it's great to have seen how much it has grown with the sport. The I mean, it was like you know 29 clubs, and 
it's uh, it's daunting to do that, and and but it is really fulfilling. And I've said it like the people who work as the players or the coaches, uh, it 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 always they're just good people. It's good people, and I'm sure that we could say that about many other soccer leagues. But there's there's a spirit about a startup league, so to speak, and everyone's on board and everyone wants to see that successful. They know what the challenges lie ahead, and we've had a great. Uh, camaraderie as broadcasters i really mm-hmm. feel like we're all looking out for each other and we have a shared space for information and uh do you get that feeling because I, I i just always did it from the jump and everyone feels like hey we're, we're a team here i think that's been one of the biggest things for me really since i moved over to america i think there's an understanding that there's so much room for growth there's so much potential but in order for that to be the case, everybody has to have the same common goal. And it's not about people looking and going, well, you know, well, I don't want to give this person advice or I don't want to help this person. It's been the complete opposite, which is which is absolutely brilliant because I'm one of those people that looks at it. It's like, like when you're playing football, it's not about an individual, it's about the team. And if the team is successful, then everybody gains from that. And, you know, speaking to different people at different clubs, speaking to obviously other 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 lads and girls as well that do what we're doing that may have covered a game that we've got coming up. It's just been, it's been brilliant. And to see that togetherness, and that goes as far with the clubs, with the managers and the players as well. I think everybody understands that football is, a, is in a really good place at the moment. And if we can continue to work hard together, everybody helps each other. I don't think there's no limits. I don't think there's any limits in terms of how it can go. And it, that makes it even more exciting. Uh, I have a question about that, but I just want to backtrack a little bit. When you were a player, and, and maybe you can also speak to the players now in England, because mm. you're talking about the flying. Uh, when you were – obviously, uh, if you're – as a Manchester United player, it's, it's, a, it's a bus ride to places like Liverpool and the surrounding – but – would you tra- would you bus ride to London or is that a tra- how would you travel and how do the players do it now? Because you see, so, the whole prospect of going to an airport is is really demanding on these guys. Yeah, I think a lot of the time it will be a bus journey. I think what you've seen in recent years, and we were even doing it when I was playing as well. You get on the trains. Trains was a huge thing as well. Is massive. Now I spent three and a half years at Southampton. And what we used to do, because that was obviously down south, if you went anywhere north of Birmingham, you would then get on a plane. And that's but the rule of thumb. Yeah, that was the rule <laughs> of thumb. But even then, your longest flight was going to be 45, 50 minutes. And that would be potentially from Southampton to Newcastle. So a lot of the times it is buses. But I think what you'll do now or what you'll find now, and like I say, towards the end of my playing career as well, was trains became a very valuable source as well for for people. So, you know, you don't have to worry then about traffic and getting stuck behind things. Although trains aren't the best in England at the moment with all the really? delays that are going on. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone's seen a lot on of there. That's a good sign. Everyone wants yeah. to get on the train. Yeah. So I think I think that's been been one of the things. So the only real way that it can be equated for anybody that's that's playing in England, like if they're playing a team that's that's in Europe, you know, when they're traveling to Europe, but even some of those journeys aren't as long as what some will be for for some of the American teams. So it's very difficult to to compare and contrast because obviously England is is a far smaller country. So a lot of the times it's just a bus journey or just getting on the train and, and then you get into a routine with it. 
Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that sounds quite refreshing. I mean, I look, I love what we're doing, but sometimes getting on those airplanes, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and we're, we, we look, I'm like, I, I, I we, when we leave the games, it was like first plane out. And that's always an yeah. enjoyment to get in my Uber and at two 30 in the morning. And anyway, as you can attest to, <laughs> uh, look, I just, one more question about MLS. Cause I know we're going to, we're getting ready for MLS cup playoffs. Um, the standard that you've seen, um, obviously covering it as a broadcaster of the Philadelphia union before the Apple TV and uh, uh, the Apple TV uh, deal that has been put into place uh, being able to see this the last few years, how have you seen that standard grow and where you see it going? Because like we've talked about it, we've mentioned it here. There's a slow growth with MLS and that's by design. They don't want to uh, expand this salary cap. I mean, they'll have these bombastic moments like Lionel Messi and David Beckham. Mm -hmm. But it's it's treated them well, and we've seen the fruits of those labors and the development of young players and academies where you see Philadelphia at the top of the list, yes. which is a top two or three academy player. Um, just being at those different tiers, what has kind of stood out about what MLS is doing the right way? I think it's the younger players starting to come through. I think, you know, I we're agree, seeing man. some, yeah, and, and we're seeing, you know, and people talk about Miami, people talk about Messi. But look at some of the young players that they've brought through or that they're bringing in. And I think that's I think that's key for the league. I think, you know, when you start to see progression from younger players, like I've had so many people get in touch with me from from England, for example, when when Brendan Aronson went to Leeds United, they were like, oh, he used to be at Philadelphia Union. Then all of a sudden there becomes that connection of hang on a second. You've got young players coming through academies in MLS going into Europe and then some of the time ending up in the top leagues in Europe. So all of a sudden then that's like, oh, so now you've got American teams that are producing these young players that are that are then moving on after they've had time in MLS, they're going to Europe, playing in the Champions League, playing in the Europa League. And I think that's been a huge thing. But what I would also say as well is the pace of this league. So when I was in England, people would always talk about or people would always ask me, you know, what's the quickest league that I've ever seen? And it wasn't the Premier League. It was the Championship, which was the league below. That was just insane. MLS. Just the, the pace of play. The pace of play. MLS is another level. So when I started working wow. at Philadelphia Union, when I started working at Philadelphia Union, um, they asked me, they said, is there anything that you would like which will enable you to enhance the, bro the broadcast? And I said, you know what? I said, I'd love a telestrator. I said, I would love one of them because, you know, I have these ideas of like when we're doing the games, I can like draw on the screens and then, you know, so if we do, if we have that for every home game, then, you know, I'm looking, I'm thinking I can probably use the, tele, the Telestrator maybe a couple of times a game. Overall, then you're probably looking at maybe four, 40, 50 times a season, whatever it may be, I can use it. I used it three times in all of the home games because the game is so fast. The game's like 100 miles an hour. So this Telestrate is just next to me. I'm like, I can't wait to use it and things like that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to try and use it on a replay because to try and do it in-game live was difficult because it's, it's just the pace of the game. And the one thing that I always say is that when people say to me, you know, how does it compare to other leagues in Europe? And I'm like, well, obviously it, it's not going to compare to the Premier League and some of the other top leagues, but where technical where technical ability may not be as strong as some of the other leagues in Europe, the, they make up for that with sheer determination and work rate. And that, for me, makes the league so fascinating. 
And and the fact of more often than not, if you look at some of the top leagues in Europe, you could pro- unless it's a freak year, which Leicester City had one year, you can probably name one of the three teams that are likely to win the Premier League. One of the three teams that are likely to win, you know, other leagues around Europe. But because of the way things are done with them, unless you have a team like Cincinnati, you know, when they first came into existence, I think the first two or three years, they got the wooden spoon. Then all of a sudden, three they wooden spoons. Three, yeah, yeah. Then Pat Noonan comes in, and all of a sudden now, you know, they they win supporters' shield, and they're one of the favourites for for MLS Cup. So I think that gives every team and their supporters, when they're going into a new season, it gives them hope that it's just like, oh, we, you know, we're going to aim for mid table. Everybody has those expectations and aspirations at the start of the season that why can't it be us? So I think that makes it fascinating as well. Everyone's going to be happy with their budgets because no one's going to request a Telestrator uh, after this conversation, which is good. But we had to do it once, Danny. We had to do it once to do it. And I, and I, it's that was a really good answer about the pace of play. You don't hear it a lot. And the technical abilities we're seeing, the, the, the we're mm. seeing they're getting there. Uh, and I, to your point about people knowing about these teams, I, I remember it was like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you would talk about an MLS player or club and it'd be followed by a chuckle, not just in England, in Argentina. I would watch Argentine TV and they'd go, oh, we don't know. That's not happening anymore. The 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 reports that you may see on Sky Sports, they talk about MLS like it's in the bloodstream. And they go, yep, Brendan Aarons at Philadelphia Union is going to Red Bull Salzburg, blah, blah, blah. And, these, and it's like, it didn't used to be like that. And that's progress in my book. And so it's great it, to see it. It is. And what, one of the things that I would say is that because we know the way that football is in Europe, there is promotion and there's relegation. So at times, people people can be ignorant. At times, people can be ignorant and they'll go, well, there's no promotion, there's no relegation. So, you know, why? how, how does that work? Because, you know, there should be promotion and relegation. So when I moved over here, I was like, mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what this is like because I was, I've always been, obviously, pro-promotion and relegation because that's all I've known. So then I move over here with doing the league and the first playoffs in MLS, NFL, and all the other sports as well. I was like, wow, now I see why people really like playoffs because it's just it's just when you think you've seen it all, something bizarre will happen. Like we, we've, we've just seen the weekend just gone. You know, you've got Red Bulls, you're thinking, oh, they're going to miss the playoffs. Last kick of the game, they get a penalty. And now yeah. all of a sudden they're they're in the wild card. And that for me is like when playoffs start, expect the unexpected. And until you have, I think, actually lived and breathed it, whether whether you're living over here or getting involved in it, that's when you start to appreciate that just because there's not relegation and promotion, it can still be incredibly exciting. Yeah, that is so refreshing to hear. And we could have a pro rel talk at another date, Danny, because that'll yeah. take that'll take a long time. Uh, but I, 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 that was great to hear you say that because there's it, it's created quite a a rift between two schools mm. of thought here. But uh, we'll see how it is. And by the way, Danny's got his Philadelphia Eagles hat. He's all in on NFL. He's got a fantasy football yes. team. He yes. he was most excited when I talked to him about his fantasy football team. Even more so, as, as excited as he sounded about MLS. Talk about his fantasy football team, which no one wants to hear, by the way. Nobody wants to hear about your fantasy football team. No one wants to hear about my fantasy football team, but no, as long as you're happy with that. it. I won't mention oh. that I'm top of the league, but yeah. <laughs> That's news, though. Yeah. Someone coming from England and winning the league, that is news. I uh, won't win it, though. No. I won't win. Because oh, the I playoffs. Always tail off. <laughs> uh, They'll catch I always you at the tail playoffs. Off. 
<laughs> I always tail off. Last year, I won my first four games, and I was, you know, I was, I was given a little bit of stick to other people in the group. I lost in my next, I think, eight, finished bottom. So yeah. Oh, oh wow. Live and learn. Oh yeah, live and learn quickly. There you got a lesson. Well, I, we obviously love to talk more about MLS with everything going on. I mm. wanted to bring, I, I reached out to Danny because I saw him on NBC Sports broadcasts uh, on Monday, and had this wonderful, eloquent thoughts on uh, the passing of really a, a titan in our sport whether it's england or anywhere else and sir bobby charlton and i'll start off by this um because he he just this incredible life and and for me personally i look at that and what i what i've thought about me when i heard the news of his passing was i go how do i get the most out of every day because i know that man did and mm-hmm. i don't want to define him by the munich air disaster 1958 yeah. um i you know when in the school of thought and i don't know how air travel was but if there's a plane crash we're in the belief that everyone on board is not going to make it and that flight half the people did including uh, bobby charlton and half that didn't and that does not define him that does not define the man in any which way shape or form but he had to have lived with that every day and I'm, I'm just curious about how that propels somebody, or maybe it's just it's instilled to him because he did so many great things. I mean, he went, he played in three World Cups after that. He was at four World Cups. He won a World Cup. This was all after a day which he probably thinks about. I, I'm lucky to be here, or I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, and that hit me very hard. And I remember someone reporting goes, "We've lost a great, uh, uh, tragic, tragic news, which it is that we lost him." And I go, "It's tragic, but it's also just." Um, triumphant in the sense that this man gave so much to so many um, with what he took advantage. And I, I, I don't, and again, I, I say it shouldn't define him, but I kind of put into that category, but it still is a big part of the story. And um, just to think of what this man did every day, I, after playing his playing career, just being so visible with Manchester United. I did a tour. I've never seen a game at Old Trafford, mm-hmm. but I did a tour of Old Trafford. It was completely empty. There was a tour group of 15 people. He was there. He walked by. He said, hey, how's it going? And I was like, it was just, and it's just a, a man that was always present. Um, what that is, I, I can't, honestly, Danny, I think of athletes and we'll, I classify him as that of people who have, um, risen uh, through prominence through sports and i can't think of anyone here in the u.s or anyone that quite can compare to that kind of life yeah it's it is an incredible life and he is you know mr manchester united such an iconic an iconic figure to do with the club and it was it was such a, a sad day for the football club for england and i think world football in general you know from I, I was born into a family it was like you were a red. It was as simple as that. There was there was no other option. Um, and you know it was more my dad's era really when Sir Bobby Charlton was playing. And you know my dad was alive when the Munich Air disaster um, occurred. I think he was at school. And you know you you look at like people always people talk now about Duncan Edwards. You know he. He he passed away, um, obviously from the Munich air disaster. He survived for a certain amount of days before it passed away. And like from my side of things, I would speak to my dad and I said to 
said I said to him, I asked him, obviously I'll get on to like Sir Bobby Charlton in a minute, but I asked him about Duncan Edwards. I was like, he was only, I think, I think he was still a teenager. And I said to my dad, I said, like, he had this reputation from such an early age. How? I said, would you compare him to Roy Keane or Brian Robson, Robson, two of Manchester United's greatest ever central midfielders? I said, which one would you liken him to? And he went, get the best of Roy Keane and get the best of Brian Robson. Then you've got three quarters of Duncan Edwards. And wow. I was like, wow, that that is incredible. So the, the Busby Bays, the tragedy that unfolded then, you know, 10 years later, they go and win the European Cup is a huge part of that. Um, then, you know, 1966 goes and wins the World Cup with England. But him as an individual, I met him on a few occasions when I was involved with the first team, when you'd be in the squad and like I was 19, 20, 21 years of age and he'd come up to you, just shake your hand and just say, you know, good luck, son, and things like that. And you were in awe. There's only, there's very few people that I have met in my life where you're like, wow, I'm in awe of this individual. They they have this... It's it's really difficult to to put into words, but they have this presence that you know that they're there before they come round the corner. You can just feel this aura about them. He was one of them. <laughs> That's amazing. And Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex yeah. Ferguson was a, is another one as well. But I go back to being a kid at Manchester United, and I joined uh, the School of Excellence at the age of nine. I had Nobby Styles as my coach. You know, may he rest in peace. He passed away a few years ago. He won the World Cup with England. He won the European Cup with Manchester United in 1968. I had Brian Kidd as one of my coaches. He won the 1968 European Cup as an 18-year-old. And one of the things is that when you talk about people like Nobby Styles, you talk about Brian Kidd, you talk about Sir Bobby Charlton, you talk about other players, Tony Whelan, Jim Ryan, uh, Wilf McGuinness, Paul McGuinness, Eric Harrison, you know, most of those names that I just mentioned to you, they had careers at Manchester United, long careers at Manchester United, so they knew what the club stood for. The other ones that didn't, they were brought into the club because they had the same philosophy as anyone that was associated with Manchester United. And at the top of that was Sir Bobby Charlton. That's the way it was. It was always, you know, after I left the club, people would say to me, what was the biggest thing you learned at Manchester United? And I think most people are thinking, oh, it was, you know, when you're in this position to do this or when you're playing left back, when you're playing centre back, this is what you have to do. It wasn't, and it still remains to this day. Manchester United taught me how to be a man, how to behave. And one of the things that Sir Alex Ferguson would always say, and I'm sure Sir Bobby Charlton was the same as well, was when you have that Manchester United blazer on, don't ever forget that you are representing the football club, regardless of what age you are. But when you go away from the club and you're at home, you're out with your friends, you're out having a meal, you're still representing the football club. So don't ever forget that. And those are the principles that the club that the club has grown from. You go all, all the way back to the great, you know, Sir Matt Busby. He was the manager at the time. He survived somehow Munich, then won the European Cup in 68 unbelievable part of the club but that's what was so great obviously probably before my time but my time at Manchester United from the age of nine till 21 people were so like-minded and with Sir Bobby Charlton for everything that he'd done in the game the times that I met him and anytime you you speak to anybody else about him 
He was very softly spoken. He was very, very humble. And he was just the absolute, an absolute gentleman. And, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's very, very sad times because, you know, you look at the, the Holy Trinity, the, the statue that's at the front of the stadium, there's only one of them left now. George Best has passed away. So Bobby Charlton's passed away and it's Dennis Law. So, you know, it's, it's, sad, it's a sad time for a lot of people. And in, in particular, a couple of generations before me because they lived through the Munich Air disaster. They lived through the European Cup. They lived through, like, no success then for a number of years and then seeing the club grow again. So it's it was a it was a, obviously a very, very sad day, but it's not something that's just going to touch the Manchester United fans. I think it's iconic, you know, him him as a footballer with England and as a, as a world star as well. There's, he was just a phenomenal footballer, head of his time. Ah, oh, Danny, that's uh, amazing how how succinct uh, to to describe this man. And I don't, in the United States, it, it, it's not making news. I wish it would, but, but mm. we'd have to explain the significance of Manchester United to so many people because I think people would be blown away about uh, the stature of this man. And, and to your point, like when I saw him at Old Trafford and he walked by, we were kind of close to the field. And when he walked by, I took four steps away because I felt that was the right thing to do of of the field. Because I know that was that's sacred, yeah. and I just felt it through him, and it was a very powerful moment just to see that. Because I've seen that, you know, I got to cover the league uh, when uh, in the mid '90s. I got to see you play, and many others that have now moved over to the broadcast stream or the coaching stream. And I, so, see, uh, generations go. I, I, I'm very proud that I've been able to carve out that time and and learn about the sport, which is incredible. Um, the Manchester United, what you said about the Blazer, it's. I mean, you can almost probably feel how heavy it is and the responsibility. And I love that part. And I mean, just uh, how important was uh, Sir Bobby in, in developing that? I know Manchester United was a huge name beforehand, but it's it's, mm. the, it's the biggest name in the world. Now, I, I all due respect to Real Madrid and Barcelona and Liverpool. It still is globally. Um, people carry. Maybe there's a guy in Sri Lanka putting on a blazer going, oh, I have to. I, I got to put my shoulders out. This is Manchester United. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I mean, how important was he in kind of pushing that um, to that point, you know, where Manchester United was able to maintain and reach new heights, even that we saw yeah. in the '90s and many times. I don't think that it was something that he needed to push. I think that he was just this icon. Sure. That you you looked at him as an as an individual, whether it be from the outside looking in, or whether as a young player being there and seeing him. It was everything that he stood for. You, He didn't need to tell you how to behave, if that makes sense, because you had this, this gentleman that was right at the top and everybody then that would probably be in order below him saw the game, saw the club and saw life the same way. So even for somebody like me who only met Sir Bobby Charlton on a couple of occasions, you had a Nobby Styles, the same mindset. You had a Brian Kidd, the same mindset. You had an Eric Harrison, the same mindset. You had a Jim Ryan, you had a Paul McGuinness. You had all of these coaches or mentors that were just the perfect fit for Manchester United. So Alex Ferguson was, was the same as well. So he was sort of, he was at the top of the tree because everything that he'd done, because the Munich air disaster was... I can't even imagine what it will have been oh like, what, what it will have been like, not only to, you know, 
to to be involved in something so incredible like that but to be alive at that time as a supporter and you're back home and then you're hearing these news stories coming through but from that or even before that it was about the busby babes so when you talk about manchester united there's even songs about the busby babes you know the the manchester united fans sing it week after week and then you only have to look at the records i think for years and years and years now there's always been an academy product in the squad for manchester united every single match day and that's something that that grew from something that was so so awful well, you know, if you spoke to most people now and you spoke about the Busby Babes, that's when they will talk about those players and then what grew from that. And I think that's something that Manchester United look at as well, because, you know, after that had happened, I remember, I think if my history is right, I think the next game they played Sheffield Wednesday and I think they had to borrow players from Manchester City. Oh the goodness. team sheet that was always at the back of the programme was just blank. It was just blank. And... You know, it was it was a really, really sad time. But then it was all about the rebuild. Then it was about the next generation of younger younger players coming through. Then they won, obviously, the European Cup in 1968. Then they went through some turmoil. They got relegated. Dennis Law scored a goal for Manchester City at Old Trafford after he'd been at Manchester United for so long that led towards Manchester United getting relegated. And then they were then starved of this success for so long. Then Sir Alex Ferguson comes in in the 80s, late mid to late 80s, I think it was. And he was like, hang on a second, we're not producing younger players at this football club. Then all of a sudden you got you go back then, Sir Alex Ferguson then goes back to the days of Sir Matt Busby. Bobby Charlton was one of those players that came through as, as obviously the Busby babes. Then you have, before you know it, the class of 92. So it's just like there was always this connection. But any time during this connection... So Bobby Charlton was always at the top of it because he'd been there and done it as a player. He was now such a huge part of the foundations of the football club because everything that anything that he didn't know about the football club wasn't even worth knowing about. So he was just the one person that like, even if he was just sat, you know, in a room where you were and, and he said, hello, you just knew what he stood for. And I think that's the big thing. It's the, my generation didn't get to see Bob, Sir, Sir Bobby Charlton play. We didn't get to see that. But it doesn't matter because we know all about him because he's <laughs> because he was still around or be, because from, from our fathers, from our grandparents and things like that. So he's just this truly iconic figure. And yes, he's passed away, but his legacy, everything about him will never, ever be forgotten. There's a stand named after him at Old Trafford as well. So he's just, you know, I wouldn't even say arguably, he is the most iconic figure of within the history of Manchester United. Yeah, and, and that's saying a lot with the names that you've shared. And yeah. uh, history, history is so important. And I feel that I don't want to take shots to the next generation, but they lose a touch, a bit of it. But I think with sport, we're as connected as any walk of life. And that is so important because, you know, I hope Sir Bobby knows he knows that he's going to be remembered fondly uh, oh, and yeah. he left such a huge impression and something we all, you know, we can all share and and, and, and be part of, too. Uh, beautifully put, Danny. Uh, I'm so glad you uh, were able to share that with us. And uh, I was deeply moved by seeing the reaction and reading more about um, mm. this great man and uh, the effect and seeing the effect it's had on you and your your father and your family. It's that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, that's uh, fantastic. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Danny Higginbotham, uh, enjoy the uh, the the upcoming playoffs. Enjoy yes, you too. your success. I think you're gonna have a good fantasy football year. And uh, yes. just just hit that Traver wa- deadline, that, that waiver <laughs> deadline. Find those new players because there are a lot of injuries. And we'll see you out there, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Brilliant. Take care, mate. Uh, Danny Higginbotham there, Apple TV, NBC Sports, joining us here on the Soccer OG. We'll be joined here by Eli Lesser this week in MLS to talk a little bit more about the playoffs. This is the Soccer OG. Here on the Soccer OG, we talked a little bit about MLS Cup playoffs earlier. We're going to revisit that and get into it with somebody who is embedded with MLS Um Every week covering it with This Week in MLS, you can see Eli Lesser on his social media handles. I mean, you're prolific, Eli. I mean, I come around Monday and it's like four or five content plays about MLS. And I say that because someone I've covered how important it is. Because as I say it, when, you know, this league is near and dear and you're, how old are you? I am 23 now. 23! Nobody likes you when you're 23, but yeah. (laughs) It's very true. Uh, I'm just kidding, but uh, it's, but it's like to, to see young people take the initiative and cover this league that I've you know been involved in so long and love dearly. It, it, I get a little emotional seeing that. It, it puts a big smile on my face to see it, and I appreciate everything that you do because uh, we know about MLS. I mean, you you could be first to say it. I mean, we have a, a the soccer generation generally looks elsewhere to watch the sport whether it's the champions league the premier league i mean sometimes i mean i'm having these conversations where it's you know they're debating the dutch league i go come on now i mean it's good the the perks from you of covering mls what comes to mind uh about why this league is so special for you yeah well it's it's all about it being local you know i have a team in my city to support you know i i get that the 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 premier league is maybe the highest quality but i've always had a hard time finding a club to support that's across the world that i can't find you know you know establish a deep connection to when you know i've had a team that's been historic um in my own city and then there's a new team in my city as well which just makes the you know it it more exciting um you know soccer i i believe we're the capital of of soccer in america i i know st louisans have different things to say here but you know it's really just you know finding the love for the sport within the country i am someone who did find my love for soccer from mls um unlike a lot of people and i just you know my goal is to just you know grow the love for the league one follower at a time basically good man and it's I love, I watch the Premier League. I love the Champions League. I watch it. It's a lot. The only thing, the only issue is you end up watching a lot of soccer. It, it puts a, a toll on all of us mentally and physically because oh. uh, we we watch it. But I love it. But, you know, I mean, there's some criticism about covering MLS. And then I go, you know, as I said, the Dutch League, the Dutch League's not the best league, but those fans show up and they love their clubs. Argentine League is not the best league anymore. I mean, all those players go elsewhere, but those fans, regardless of who's playing for Boca or Racing or Huracan or what have you, they show up and that's part of their routine. And I, I think that's something we should strive for. And I, we get caught in this conversation. And the MLS quality is getting there. It's gotten better all the time. Um, is it the Premier League? No. Is it the La Liga or Serie A? Probably not. Is it the Brazilian League? No. But, I mean, some of these leagues you look at and they say it to support a team uh, trumps everything. And mm-hmm. I think that's important to instill – uh, as a supporter, if, especially if you're coming into soccer 
and to be locally and find somebody and have, have go to games, sit next that's to someone and takes. develop a that's relationship. All it takes. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like uh, I've taken many people to matches over the years and they become fans instantly. It really, you know, for me, that's what it took to become a soccer fan. You know, I didn't I thought it was boring. It's funny. It's ironic because I was a baseball kid. but I was like, oh, soccer's boring, whatever. Then I go to my first Galaxy match and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then, you know, that really sparked my love for for the sport and seeing how supporter sections work. That's like the biggest thing for me. Um, and, you know, what I want to showcase in America, it's like we're, you know, we have quality supporters, we have, you know, ultras, we have excitement. And that that's what really inspires me and in what I do daily. One thing that was uh, reported by MLS, which uh, I was very comforted by, because, look, working for Apple TV and getting people to watch, you know, when I worked at ESPN, the ratings weren't great. Um, it's a work in progress. It'll get better. Uh, and Apple TV is a huge breakthrough relationship, which will allow um, uh, more fans to come in and experiment in, in the United States and internationally. The conversation used to be about getting people to come to the games. And we would go, whether it's the Galaxy, whether it was uh, Kansas City Wizards at the time, you'd go in these big NFL game stadiums. And that would seat 70,000 people. And there'd be 2,000 people there tops. There was no attendance. There was no traveling supporters. That's a new phenomenon. We get 50, 100, 200 traveling supporters at these games all the time. So it gives me, um, it gives me more comfort to know that the, the issues were fans coming and they've resolved it. There's always room for improvement. There's some clubs that don't draw well. But, you know, 22,000 something was the average per game. We had 61,000 show up at Charlotte, the new club, in their decision day game. It gives me comfort that, that, that the TV side will resolve itself. What have you enjoyed about that fan experience? You've been to, you've, I know you've been able, had the, uh, the pleasure of visiting some new stadiums around the league about how MLS has really cultivated that, where it's not like a drag. You don't just go with your, your families, don't go, you go with your buddies. You throw the back, whatever it is, it is an experience that everyone can share. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me that I enjoy is that no matter what club you support, you we're all here and we all have the same goal in mind to grow the sport and to grow this league. And it's something that like as a Galaxy fan, I could relate to LAFC fans here. And I have love for anyone who supports any MLS club because we're all here trying to make this league better and going to different cities seeing how their club has impacted their life, whether it's, uh, you know, a 26-year history, 30-year history, or a, a first-year history. I got to go to St. Louis this year and meet their fans, you know, and see how much their club's already impacted their life and how they're already raising their kids as St. Louis SC supporters. It's, it's, very, it's a very beautiful thing, and connecting with those people and having that one goal in mind is something super, super cool. And, you know, I've always been a guy who likes a bit of, like, niche things in life but it's also cool because i want to see ml this niche thing become the mainstream thing and be like i was there from this point and see see the growth and it's it's crazy just i'm you say i'm very young and sometimes i i feel very old because when i you know since <laughs> you're an old soul since I started covering MLS, there's been 10 new teams entering the league. So it's, you know, I've seen the growth as well in my short lifetime as, um, but 
that that's the most beautiful thing and just seeing just how much these clubs mean to these people and that's kind of going forward what I want to convey more in my content because you know a lot of people are like oh well your club's only been around for two years you guys can't have real fans yet which is just not true that's but it's it's still amazing that that's the case and by the way, I was I'm going to get your MLS Cup prediction later but I, someone threw out I think it's going to be St. Louis Cincinnati and I started laughing I was like that sounds like a, a baseball uh <laughs> NLCS kind of but because those are both very new teams but and I I didn't spend too much time thinking that they were new clubs it felt normal to think that you know there's two new teams and it's okay that two new teams can make it I think we've we've grown to do that because we were 10 clubs not that long ago now we're 29 um I don't think too many people bring it up and say hey uh um that's that's a flaw to the league because two very new teams are doing it. I don't think people are bringing that up uh as a younger as a younger fan and we 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 hear data points about MLS growing um Kids are streaming. They're not watching on linear TV, and that's kind of hard to check. Have you have you felt that? Have you felt um, a younger audience coming, m- much like you did when you first saw it and got the hook in? Have you seen more and more? Because I'm an old I'm an old codger here, and I'm I, you know I'm many ways still the linear type person, but seeing MLS develop younger fans and the the data says there's been success there, but I wonder what your perspective has been. Yeah, well, speaking on a data perspective first, Force Soccer put out, you know, a poll where um, they basically interviewed the younger generation and most Americans, you know, you know, I guess 14 to 18, their favorite soccer league is MLS. Maybe their favorite club is elsewhere, but their favorite league as a whole is MLS. So that shows growth. That's, but personal, but that's huge. I mean, that's like yeah. a that's a bombastic statement. No. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. And, you know, I, I'm biased because that's my perspective as well, because it is my favorite league. Um, but that's my goal with my account. And, you know, with what I do is I try to aim towards the people who are my age when I started getting into the sport, not necessarily the people older than me, but the people younger than me, because I want to help raise the next generation of soccer fans. And, you know, you hear this with like politics and everything. It's always the next generation that's going to take over. And I want to make sure that like that next generation is so positive about MLS. Well, the next generation is going to take over. But the question is, do they take over with good intentions and a smart approach and that's you eli you're doing that well because i mean it's that it's working into that they could you could take a left turn but i mean we need more people like you and that's why i'm very happy that that you're out there and it's it's interesting about um the passing down of this fandom as well but it and you also said being there from the beginning have you heard i've heard that a bit and me being affiliated with lafc and I got there in 2018. Being from the beginning is something that's really important to me. And no one's going to take that away from me. Even if for some reason I stopped watching soccer altogether, I could say I was there from the beginning. I'm not going to stop watching altogether, Eli. I'm, I got the hook in. Uh, but that's a great opportunity too, right? I mean, you could say like people it, – it, it's so rare. I mean, you can't say that I, I got at the beginning with the New York Yankees or I got in the beginning with the LA Lakers because – that ship has sailed. You could do that here, and that gives you a lot of clout. No, definitely. And you get to set the tone for the next generations, which, is, as you mentioned, is a unique opportunity. It's super cool. And I'm seeing certain clubs that I've visited and that I've heard about have supporter groups fully of youth. In Orlando, there's a, a, a section in their supporter section of just these kids 
who have capos that are kids leading the chance. They're saying F U a hole to the goalkeeper. Every time they kick the ball, <laughs> it's awesome. And that's, that's the type of thing you, you love to see. Um, and yeah, it is a super unique opportunity. And I think a lot of the younger generations taken a part of it. Vancouver, they have a whole supporter group. That's just, you know, teenagers. And it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, and it's it's just something that I, I want to help showcase as much as I can. I want my son to be part of a teenage supporter group for an MLS club. He's not into it, but that's him. He's a different he's a different kind of guy. Hey, let's talk about the playoffs. The, I mean, we're recording this on Wednesday. The wild card games are tonight, so we'll know the result. Uh, I don't think anyone's picking any of those teams, although sporting's pretty interesting. But just by and large, as we put a bow on the MLS season, how did you view it? We obviously had the, the introduction of St. Louis City, and they added so much. I got to call four games up there. It's absolutely remarkable. And it's a, a community that already adored soccer. You got to experience that. Um, some ups and downs, certainly. Uh, a very busy calendar. I mean, everywhere we went, we talked to clubs that are I mean, obviously talking to LAFC. The Dynamo are approaching 50 games. Inter-Miami are approaching 50 games. Uh, even though their season's over. I mean, but just uh, what was different about 2023 in your eyes? Yeah, obviously there was some small Argentine that came to this league. I don't really remember his name, but I heard he's pretty We good. have so many. You have Lucho yeah. Acosta, you True. have Tiago Almada. <laughs> no, small but, uh, in stature, but high in talent. This was a year that that did feel a little different. It felt like MLS was taking everything to the next level. And my my thing as a content creator is how can I get to that next level with it? Still figuring that out, but I just, you know, have to control the things I can control or focus on the things I can control. But, um, you know, it, it, it's it felt like the, the, the world's eyeballs were on us more this year. And that's pretty cool. And it's just, you know, how can we take whatever momentum we we created this year and bringing it bring it into next year? I have my opinions on it that I don't need to share. Um, but it was a super special season seeing a team like St. Louis come in the league, be as good as they are without really like you could say Roman Berkey's a star, but without like a true like, you know, game changing star when you look at a Messi or an Acosta, like they don't have that per se. They just have a well-built team and that's all it really takes in MLS. You know, you could be a big spender and you could still be bottom of the table. The top three spenders in MLS this year didn't even make the playoffs. Um, so it's just, it, it was a very interesting year and I'm, it's very cool how a team from Ohio was the best team with all this noise going on in the league. And I, I I'm super excited for what next year could bring. I think this is kind of like the, the, you know, the, the, the pilot episode of, you know, the next few years of what's going to happen in us soccer. Cause you know, this is the best time we've ever had to be, you know, a, a soccer fan here. You mentioned that that's such an interesting uh, conversation to have. You said the three biggest spenders, which I think is Inter-Miami, Toronto, Toronto, and the Galaxy. And they're bringing in the high-profile players. And, you know, Messi could pay off in a big way. Everyone just assumed after the League's Cup, it's just going to start railing in the trophies. It's going to be hard. And he's getting older. And missing games is going to be a reality for Lionel Messi. Um, even though when he played, they were successful and I think they're going to be all right. Are they going to be an MLS cup champion the next two years while he's here? I ain't going to say that. I highly doubt it to be perfectly honest. It's just such a treacherous league for every team with a playoff team. You have to, you have to be very well equipped. Um, 
Chicharito, I mean, is he going to be? I, I don't think he's going to be back next season. Toronto, they can't get rid of those, the two Italian guys quickly enough. Um, will they continue to go for the big star power? Messi was a hit. David Beckham was a hit. I don't know, but I mean, the Galaxy have led the way and bless them for doing that because they've changed the league. But, you know, Zlatan, some success. Um, the guys in Toronto, uh, even like success. going back to Terry, zero success and, and negative success. Even when you had Terry Henry come in here, good. Or, and when the Red Bulls were bringing in big name players, it hasn't really worked. St. Louis is doing is working. Cincinnati's doing is working. I'm, you know... How do you think the makeup of the league? I want the stars. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Neymar and I don't see the American stars come back if they could overpay for a Christian Pulisic and a Gio Reyna one day. That I think makes sense. But um, I also get to believe that these clubs have to look at the paperwork that you mentioned and say, I, do we want to invest here? Because if this goes sideways like it did in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, our club goes back five years. How do you think teams are going to build? Well, I think the stars are very important. I've never cared about the retirement league stigma because, you know, I understand the importance of having these big names as a content creator. You know, I know it does better yes. when I, you know, get the unfortunately, clicks. Unfortunately, me posting about Lorenzo Insigne does better than talking about how great Cincinnati has been. And that's just kind of a, a harsh reality about things sometimes. But, um, you know, teams need to really look at are they, you know, willing to potentially sacrifice success for me or on field success sometimes for, you know, bringing in the marketable guy for the league. And I'm hoping more stars come to the league. You know, we, we see all these rumored players to go to Miami, but I want to see those guys kind of spread out throughout the league so we could create these big TV matchups to get people to want to watch you know, the season pass and all that stuff. And that stuff is just as important for the league as a whole as, you know, a, a team being well-built and winning a championship. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And like you know, this Luis Suarez connection to Miami, and that's a, a, a retirement case. He's 37 and his skills have deteriorated. I'd still like to see him here. Uh, the what was crazy when the Cristiano Ronaldo, they were kicking the tires of him going to Kansas City. And I would like to see that too. And I don't know why it's such a deterrent. I mean, everyone... Not everyone wants to go to Miami. Living in Miami, as you get older, is not as much fun than when you're 25. L.A. is a lot of fun. It's my favorite city. I don't want to live anywhere else. But uh, you you get more bang out of your buck if you live in so many great places. Maybe you're a big star and you you really like the Texas lifestyle or you're an outdoorsman. So I don't understand why we always like pick an or New York, you know, New York could use some stars. We don't have anything up there. So maybe they could get them going, but it, it's uh, the spread of that I think is really important. We haven't really seen it. Um, escape. But do you think that's a, deter- do you think every guy that comes out, like, I want to go to Miami, I want to go to LA. And that's uh, kind of, we saw it with Garrett Bale here. That was, he came to L- LAFC specifically because he wanted to, to spend some time in Los Angeles as well. Yeah, I mean, we have some great golf courses here in LA. No, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, we do, but, you know. They have great golf courses in, all over the board. Their best golf course, like in North Carolina. Who knows? He 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 scored the winner, so, you know, uh, he shut everyone up. But um, I, I, I do understand that, and that's kind of an issue with all sports. You know, you see the NBA, a lot of stars wanting to go to this city or that city. Um, and it, it, it's an interesting thing because MLS is supposed to be a league of parody. Whereas, you know, other soccer leagues around the world, the biggest cities have the biggest clubs and they have the more money and they could just bring in guys. So I love how MLS is able to even itself out. And 
I, I just wish that more of the stars would, you know, see benefits in going elsewhere because if we could have like a marquee player, a marquee player on every single MLS club, that just makes the league more interesting to me. And as I mentioned with these TV matchups, it creates this amazing thing. Also, I just want to mention, you mentioned about New York. I think NYCFC is a stadium away from being a team like Miami. Yeah, and they're working on it. I think the second that stadium's built, like it might be a GG for a lot of teams, um, but especially if they loosen the rules a little bit or something. But yeah, that I I, I do agree with you on you know I, I hope to see more players you know go to more cities, but it's just how can you make that city look attractive to someone who's used to living a certain lifestyle in a big city in Europe. By the way, when the season ends, and it will end December 9th, which is MLS Cup, MLS offseason is going to be great to the many oh, reasons yeah. you said. Last season's offseason was great. And when we started hearing these messy uh, rumors start firming up, everyone's like, okay, uh, players players will leave. Many will come in. And I think this will this offseason will be the best. But we'll, we'll, we'll save that to when we arrive to those shores, Eli. Let's talk about MLS Cup playoffs. Who do you like? I mean, I, we've heard I've changed my prediction four times, mm-hmm. and um, let's talk about quickly about the format. How do you like it? How do you do? I guess there's there's the issues with the format. Is does it protect the higher seeds? I think it kind of does, mm-hmm. and does it water it down? I mean, it, it, eighteen teams are a lot, but four of those teams have to go. Th- no one wants to finish eighth or ninth if you can finish seventh, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it gets a little more selective, but how do you see the format? And uh, I, I also feel they put a lot of thought into it. It wasn't something they did willy nilly. I, I would probably in a perfect world, like a few less teams, but I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what it looks like. And I'm, I'm optimistic. Yes. Yeah, so I would say I personally loved the format that we had before this one. I love Last single year's. elimination. I love chaos. And, that's and that protected the higher seeds too. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, in it that did. in that edition, it did. In that in twenty twenty two, yeah, I'd say in twenty twenty one or in yeah twenty twenty one when the revs, it didn't quite protect them because like no, like every MLS team was eliminated before they played one match. Um, but you know, I really love last year's edition. I love to see a big upset, and I do think this year will limit the upsets in a way. But maybe it does stress the regular season a bit more, which I guess is a good thing because you know a lot, there's always the critique oh regular season doesn't yes. matter and that's now a thing in all sports like no one cares about but the d- nba regular season at all anymore because you just need to make the playoffs um and that's something unique to america which i love um but well said i i, I just miss the uh, i'm gonna miss that that chaos with maybe a seven seed beating a second seed which still could happen this year it just very it, it's less likely I'm also not a big fan, and I understand the the stress it puts on players' bodies and stuff. I'm not a big fan of going directly to pens after 90 minutes. I like extra time, and I, I love the chaos that brings. But uh, and it's, sometimes I feel like it's unfair for you know the whole thing to be decided by just like a couple of penalty kicks, even though I, I won't you know undermine you know how difficult penalties are, especially with the pressure and all that stuff. I just prefer that that single elimination format. So I guess we'll get the best of both because after the first round, it will go to that. But uh, yeah, it's an, it's a cool change. It's something we haven't seen in MLS since like the early two thousands. And I, I just want to see how it plays out before I really make my judgment on it. Um, but, you know, I, I want to see a team like, 
you know, 2021 RSL make the semifinal as, you know, a team that didn't even take a shot, you know, like that. that you're a lunatic. Like, I mean, he's I, like, I, I'm an MLS sicko. That's what they call you were like, us. You like, to see the, you like to see the 15 seed pull the upset in the NCAA tournament. 100%. I do too, by the way. I do too. You know? I know. Uh, Unless but, it's Syracuse, there's the two seed. Yes, exactly. Oh, geez. No, <laughs> let's not talk about that. But no, um, what I will say in terms of how I look at this year's playoffs, and I hate to say this as a Western Conference fan, I don't trust any team in the Western Conference this year. And I would pick seven of the teams in the East to win MLS Cup, maybe really? over any of the West, may, except for like Houston. I, I just feel like the the way the East played out this year, any team could get out of that conference. And I think they could, you know, beat any team in the West. And maybe that's, you know, my four years in Syracuse rubbing off on me a little bit, but that's just how it played out. I mean, the second seed in the West would have been the the sixth or seventh seed in the East anyways. Um, I just feel like it's a much stronger conference. And whoever, I, I think whoever makes it out of the East will win MLS Cup. I'm not going to undermine. I, 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 I think, you know, Houston, St. Louis, and LAFC could maybe win it but i i just trust the teams in the east and personally the two teams i would look out for the most are the two ohio clubs cincinnati and columbus you know all the attention's been on cincinnati this year but columbus has played the most fun soccer they've outscored everyone by a ton and will for nancy to me is the best coach in mls right now and that might be a hot take but i've no, i've loved no. watching his teams He's great. And I, I'd, I'd love to for the U.S. men's national team to keep tabs on him for maybe 2030 because he's here and he is an avant-garde thinker and, and all of that. So uh, it's it's a good shout. Based on everything you told me, I can kind of figure out what your pick is going to be. I And I would agree with the Eastern Conference. Um but I feel some of those Western teams could have done the work the last month of the season to make themselves playoff ready which could make them dangerous. But based on what you said, you don't think there's going to be a lot of upsets. You mentioned the dynamo a couple of times ahead of others. So I'm going to, and you said Ohio. So I'm going to say is your, I'm going to just have fun here. I was going to ask, it's more fun for you to say it, but you can correct me. Is your MLS cup final Houston Columbus? Yes. <laughs> and, um, it's more of just like a, first of all, it's easy to pick Houston given we've seen them win a knockout tournament this year. So that's that's cool. Also, just their rise has been that's remarkable. good. I think the U.S. Open Cup is a great shout. You're right. Exactly. I, and that's why I look at even like a team like Nashville to get like a first round upset over Orlando. It wouldn't necessarily be seen as an upset per se, just given, you know, the players that they have. But it, it's it's very easy to look at teams that have made runs already in, in like the League's Cup and Open Cup and say, hey, that team's already done this. They can do this again. But I also, you know, I, I kind of undermine the Sounders a bit when I talked about my teams in the West. You know, they've had a very rough season, but they've picked it up at the end, which is, you know, sometimes all you need. Um, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily trust that this group still has it, but maybe that that just cursed, cursed me and they're going to win it all now. Um, <laughs> but for me, I think in the East, there are two teams that could take out Cincinnati. I think it's Philly. And I think it's Columbus just based on, you know, the history of Philly and Columbus with, you know, who Cincy's head coach and GM are. I think, you know, it could work both ways. But then also Columbus, that that's that state rival. The hell is real Derby in the Eastern Conference final to me would be the coolest thing ever. And for Columbus to take out Cincy in their best season yet 
would be amazing for that rivalry. And also, I think with all these expansion teams, it'd be awesome to see an MLS OG team as you are the soccer OG. It'd be great to see an MLS OG club take it all. And as a fan of an MLS OG club, that's something I personally love. Um, But, you know, the Columbus crew have been the best MLS OG club since the Galaxy in 2014. If you if you look at MLS Cups um, appearances and all that stuff. But I, I, I believe in this crew team. And it's interesting because when Lucas Celerayon left midseason, I thought, you know, oh, this team might not be able to hold it together. But Cucho's playmaking got even better after he left, adding Diego Rossi and adding Julian Gressel to an already pretty well-built team is just, it, it's remarkable just how fun this Columbus crew team is to watch. I do have a bit of worry about how they're going to stack up defensively because they're so attack heavy. Um, And, you know, defense wins championships and whatnot. But I I really like this Columbus crew team and I probably just curse them and they're going to lose, you know, in the first round to Atlanta. It's, well, this is, this is an absolute well, crapshoot. I mean, this is so is. hard. It really is. Because the, the numbers have proven us that you can't, it, it's Im- impossible because it could all go sideways or absolutely upside down. So 100%. I like it. I think that was a very well thought out prediction. So Columbus over Houston in the final. Yeah. And, you know, I see Houston, you know, maybe first of all, I, I I forgot who they're playing in the first round off the top. Oh, Houston RSL. Salt Lake. So that's a that's a tough one because I always I always advance RSL one round automatically in my playoff bracket because they're going to pull something. <laughs> you had to break your rule. <laughs> yeah, it, but I I just love how scrappy this Houston Dynamo team is. How solid they are in the midfield. And I I when I look at this team and this team is full of guys who have a lot to prove. You know, you look at a guy like Corey Baird, Griffin Dorsey. Ben Olsen, their head coach. These are guys who came in and maybe were on their last life in MLS heading into this season. And they've, you know, led by, you know, Hector Herrera, Karaskia. Uh, they've really been able to, to put something very special together. Their team I did not see coming at all. And, you know, I am taking the open cup thing and saying, hey, they could do this again. And I, I think, think that's a great will. look. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, I've changed it many times, my picks. Uh, but I agree with you on all these uh, many ways about the East too. The only thing about Columbus gives me a little pause. I wish they finished second because I would have been a slam dunk. But the fact that they would have to go to possibly Orlando and Cincinnati, I don't think their away form uh, will equip them. So I'm going Orlando over Houston. I don't know if that's sexy enough for MLS, but I'm going to enjoy it. It doesn't matter. You're not. You're probably not going to get the sexiest final because there's so much parity here. But I think you're going to have an enjoyable final. And it's going to build it to up. But I like the East to win it at the end. We're yeah, both on board I, I with Houston Orlando. the Dynamo. Yeah. The yeah, the Orlando. East is going to be crazy, man. Those games are going to be tight across the board. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I, I really like Orlando heading into the playoffs. But I could also see a first-round upset with Nashville. Yes. That's just how Nashville crazy. doesn't doesn't give up goals. That's exactly the kind of team that does well in a postseason. Exactly. Gary Smith's done it before in MLS with uh, the Colorado Rapids in 2010. And I think, you know, he could do it again with a better roster. So it's it's very complicated. And I could also use my my League's Cup argument with Nashville. So it's it's very, very tough. I am super excited for the playoffs. And, you know, I, I, I congratulate FC Cincinnati for what they've done this year. But, you know, only eight Supporter Shield teams have been able to win the double. So and I, I'm very curious to see how they'll perform they'll perform when the pressure is really on 
Might have to change my pick again. Thanks a lot, uh, Eli. <laughs> I'm gonna. I might go Cincinnati. I might go Cincinnati. Houston. What about that? It's just I, I, that the two, three, six, seven matchups in the East are just too perilous. So I'm not saying that those teams can't do well, but I'm betting for just bedlam in those games, which could open the door for Cincinnati. You know what I mean? One hundred. You know, they might beat each other up, and Cincinnati benefits from that. Eli Lesser, this week in MLS. Great chatting with you, man. Thanks for t- carving out some time to join me here on the Soccer OG. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I know you're someone that I've always looked up to, first of all. And I don't mean to, you know, ride you too much, but, you know, you and Dunny are my favorite partnership on ah, the season pass. Preach! I'm a huge, I'm a huge, I'm a huge Dunny guy. I've always been a huge fan of you. Um, so I'm glad <laughs> that they've paired you two together. Um, it makes a certain matches more enjoyable than they would have already been. Um, <laughs> That's and- awesome. That's such a nice thing to hear. It's awesome to, you know, continue to connect with you after all these years. We met when I was a high school kid and I, before I even got into Syracuse, you know, we were talking. So it's cool to, you know, talk to you all these years later on the other side of things where I'm graduated and all that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's always an honor to, to talk with you and, you know, hopefully we could talk during the off season or something and talk about, you know, how many stars the galaxy brought in and how they're going to take over the league next year. But, you know. <laughs> We'll wow. see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what the conver- how, where the conversation goes, but you can guarantee we'll have those conversations. Sure. Eli Lesser, check him out on This Week in MLS on all social media handles. He is constant with the content. He's going to be very busy during the MLS Cup playoffs. There will be no check complete this week because of our wonderful guests. We will be back again next time with much more Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. Thanks for checking us out. Till I see you again, Placido Domingo. Domingo.